background. Here we go for another episode of Who's Your Therapist. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro. Thank you guys for tuning in again. Welcome back. Uh, For people that are new to the show, Who's Your Therapist is a show where we kind of get down into the nitty gritty and talk to therapists about what goes on in their lives. So really what this is about is just sitting down and actually having a, a good conversation. And there's a certain amount of vulnerability to this, but it, it's always a good time. And my guest today, uh, our conversation is no exception. Uh, Jillian Reed is on the show, and I'll tell you a little bit about her in a second. Um, I was thinking about this this introduction, and I, I, I told myself I wasn't going to talk about corona. And I'm really not going to, but can I just say how itchy your face gets when you're trying not to touch it? <laughs> I had no idea <laughs> how much I'm probably going around my day all the time, like just unawarely scratching my face. <laughs> but I'm driving home and uh, all of a sudden I get this itch just above my upper lip. And it's, um, it's annoying, but it's not the end of the world. I can deal with that. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like zoning it out, right? I'm, I'm concentrating on what I'm doing. And all of a sudden I get uh, another itch on my cheek. And I'm aware now that uh, it didn't replace the first itch. Now I have two itches. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is getting good now. How many can we go for? And in a way, I, I, it gave me an opportunity to practice some of the, um, I think some of the, the mindfulness meditation way of thinking or the mindset, right? Which is, I don't necessarily have to respond to it because it's, not going to be here forever like it's here now and it'll be gone and uh so as i'm like as i'm thinking this all of a sudden the entire outside of my nose starts itching as well and now i'm counting three itches because uh the one on the cheek is definitely still very present and then the one above my lip it's it's like kind of faded a bit but it's still there (laughs) it it was it was a wonderful exercise in self-discipline anyways i got home I washed my hands and then I scratched the shit out of my face. <laughs> so um, yeah, that happened. How's everyone doing? Are you guys doing okay? By the way, th- this kind of like uh, you know staying indoors kind of thing—it's really right up my alley. It's kind of what I do, anyways. So let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. So Jillian is a Toronto-based therapist. Uh, she runs her private practice, uh, which she calls Mother Zen Wellness. And she's really, in, in the last uh, couple years, few years, really focused her work on working with mothers and, and dedicating a lot of her practice to that respect. She's worked in the past as a social worker, a nutritionist, a pre- and postnatal trainer, and has really taken into studying mindfulness meditation. So it's kind of a, you know, a nice transition for my my itchy face practice to uh, some of the conversation that we'll have today. But uh, we had a great time. And actually, Jillian and I, funny enough, we used to know each other in university uh, in our undergrad. And we really didn't have much to say to each other at that time. We probably exchanged a couple words. 
And uh, for one, like I, I wasn't uh, much into talking to a lot of people at that point. Sounds funny, but like, you know, I commuted back and forth to school and it really wasn't until like partway through the third year and into my fourth year that I actually started to like uh, connect with people more. And anyways, I was probably like, to be honest, probably a little intimidated by her too. But we had a wonderful conversation today and uh, made up for a lot of that time. And she was kind enough to let us into her life a little bit. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. Um, so if you're on your way to work or just sitting at home bored twiddling your fingers, uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation and enjoy getting to know Jillian. never have admitted to some of the things that I'm up to now but well I never thought I'd be playing bridge right yeah. well I don't I can't say that I even know how but like I go bird watching with my mom and stuff really yeah and my husband's like who are you <laughs> like, it was always there but just kind of like dormant when we were younger right, and like right. busy with other stuff right like these inclinations you mean yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Go bird watching. It's like who it's kind of like you always have these sort of who you are maybe from like a child or whatever it is, right? Yeah. But I think when I was in my 20s and early 30s we were just distracted by other things like fun and going out. Like fun. Fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now I guess now we have different ideas of fun. But anyway, right. this is quite the setup. Yeah, I'm kind of trapped in I kind of got a duck like through here. You want to throw on your uh, the headphones? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever likes to hear their own voice. You get used to it. Yeah. I, I used to hate it. <laughs> you know the worst. What the worst was was back in the day leaving answering uh, like voicemail messages. Yeah. And then if you have the option to listen to it back yeah, before yeah, yeah. sending it, it never sounds good. <laughs> it's like. If you want to do it again, press one. Delete and re-record. Yes. Press one. That's a <laughs> bad option for me because <laughs> I'm going to be there all day. Re-record five thousand times. How do I make myself sound cooler? Like I sound really not right? cool right now. Right, and now it's just like, don't even listen. Just press send. Right? Yeah, yeah, you got to. Like just the press the pound and let's keep moving. Like on I, this. I try not to even edit my text messages anymore. Like I'll be there for an hour. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. It's crazy, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist that way sometimes. Yeah, so am I. Yeah? It's funny how I wonder if that's a thing with social workers or therapists. or. Well, I've always, especially when it came to writing, like for me growing up, writing became kind of my medium way of trying to convey to people that I wanted to list, that I wanted them to listen to me. Mm -hmm. That became my medium. And so it became an opportunity to really scrutinize and really sort of perfect the message that you were getting mm -hmm, out there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so yeah I, I mean i have this tendency to really kind of edit and re-edit and mm -hmm. it's yeah. funny even Do you relate well i find myself sometimes if there's you know an argument with my partner that after the fact i have to i want to like write him an email oh right even, because even though you guys are in the same room well, like, let's say it's ended or we had to for whatever reason he's gone to work or I had to go to the baby. We have a lot of um, interrupted discussions these days, right? I can imagine. So then there's stuff that's left on your mind and, you know, being a bit of a ruminator as well, you know, or I come up with a lot of things after the fact. Oh, man, me too. <laughs> so then I'll write it all down. And then I think one thing I've learned is don't hit send. <laughs> <laughs> because it's... Then you... 
to your point, yeah. I could edit the email five times yeah. over the next five days or two weeks or whatever. So I've learned that what you first want to say is not exactly what you would say, Yeah. which is interesting though, right? Like it's an interesting lesson in just what you feel right now is not necessarily reality. Oh, it's insane. Right? And, and I'm, no, I'm no one to judge. You should see my fucking phone. It's full of like notes. Yeah. Of just like stuff I want to remember to say. We should have a, <laughs> like, we should check our notes and see who has, how, like, what our note counts are. Because I've got a lot too. And then you go back and you're like, what even is this? Note? <laughs> right. What? what was I thinking in 2013? And why is this note still here? Yeah. Carries forward. Right? Yeah. Especially the ones where, where I'm not typing it in, I'm like, voice dictating it in oh. and then I'm reading it after I'm like what does that even mean okay you have to show me how to voice dictate though because I'm always wanting to do that but okay. I've never actually figured out that function yeah well it's 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 fairly easy but it, it's not always perfect yeah you, you sort of have to No, go, I understand yeah. yeah you have a good um podcast radio voice by the way oh so, thank you yeah <laughs> yeah, maybe if you decide to give up social work, go into like broadcasting okay. or something. <laughs> well, you know, funny, like, funny enough, last year somebody actually mentioned that to me, mm-hmm. and I kind of filed that away. But uh, it, it might have sparked a little bit of this idea. Oh, like, okay, how do I get on the microphone? That's interesting because I really believe we <clears> get <throat> these little seeds planted, right? And mm-hmm. once they're planted. It's just a matter of time where the where they will be something, and it may have been there before. Just you, you didn't hear, you didn't see, like the 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 seeds that were planted until you're ready for it. Right, right. Anyway, something, I don't usually use that with my clients, but <laughs> well, you know, like well, something comes along and waters the seed, mm-hmm. right? If you want to continue that metaphor, for me, it was actually talking with uh, one of my clients. And we were wrapping up a therapy mm. session, and she's a therapist herself. Mm-hmm. And we got to just kind of sparking this idea about what actually goes on in the lives of therapists. <laughs> and all of a sudden, these two, you know, that seed that got planted, all of a sudden was being mm. watered now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I want to do something with this. I think that's good, because there are a lot of, you know, podcasts that are coming out, but a lot of them are more on the specific like how to work with trauma or whatever it is right or mm-hmm. but this is different this is more personal and i think that it also would be helpful for people who want to get therapy and realizing that hey we're just normal people too yeah and you know therapists get therapy and yeah you know we're yeah. all just kind of here to help each other out <laughs> absolutely right I'm going to try not to burp into the mic. Mm. Mm. All right. So how did you come to to mindfulness and meditation? Was was this out of um, crisis going on in your life and sort of calming the storm a bit or Mm. or what? It's funny because I feel like most people come to mindfulness somehow exactly like what you said because Mm -hmm. they've had some sort of you know, storm or crisis, and this is, was either suggested to them or they stumbled on it, you know. And so I, I would say before I even knew that it was mindfulness, definitely I was going through my own sort of personal challenges. Yeah. And, but, um, and I think I maybe had known about it from my, from my yoga practice. I've always been really deep into 
you know, health and wellness. Mm -hmm. And I went to school for holistic nutrition. So that sort of always had me sort of floating in between the, you know, academic world that I'm in Mm -hmm. versus also this sort of healing, alternative, preventative, Eastern world. So I've always kind of been like, how do I balance the two? And so I knew about, um, you know, meditations, but definitely in a more sort of spiritual you know, like, what's your spirit animal and let's okay. go on a soul okay. journey and that sort of thing. <laughs> were, were you involved in that when we knew each other in school? No. No, okay. You that was that a later. side tour. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I have a few tours away from social work. But oh. um, so when I was working at Sick Kids, um, one day, you know, I was rushing down the hallway the way that we always do, right? <laughs> Just rushing, rushing, yeah. and busy, busy, and not paying attention to a thing around me other than knowing I was late. Yeah. And I was yelling down the hallway, literally the hospital hallway, <laughs> yelling <laughs> to another colleague, yeah. you know, I'm running late. I don't know if I can make it. I'll talk to you later. We'll, you know, and yeah. this man was standing there. And he said, oh, you sound stressed. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it? Who is this man? And I, yeah. And so I turn around and I'm like, for one, who are you? Yeah. For two, was I talking to you? <laughs> and for three, I'm a therapist. I think I know yeah. if I need to talk and if I'm stressed. So as part of you like, go <laughs> right. fuck yourself, dude? <laughs> I was like, well, it just caught me off guard. Yeah. But then I realized who he was, and he was um, a chaplain from of the course. hospital, <laughs> right? From the hospital's chaplaincy program. And I a guardian went, angel sent from God. Well, it's interesting because I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, actually, I'm fine now. Like, I'm literally, I'm just in a rush, but I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Um, But I actually was interested in this mindfulness project thing that you have here. I don't know what it is, but I see all the signs. So maybe I can, you know, set up a meeting with you when I actually do have some time and we can, um, you know, you can tell me more about that. And he was like, well, I have a better idea for you. And I went, okay. Okay. He said, I'm just going to, can you just come with me? And he walked me down the hall. And so where everywhere I had to be just went on hold. Really? Okay. Right? And so I walked down the hall with him and he knocks on another person's door. And um, her name is Annie J. And she is the Buddhist chaplain and the head of the mindfulness project at the hospital that I worked at. Okay. And he said, I want you to meet Annie. Um, Annie, this is Jillian. And... Um, from there, we just, her and I began to chat and talk. And um, that's when I would say my relationship with mindfulness and all of the things that it can bring to us really sort of took off and where that sort of opened up. Interesting. Yeah. So it's just, to me, like that story still blows my mind because it really was like meant to be. Mm-hmm. It just was. That man doesn't even work there anymore. Okay. Um, but my life completely changed because I was standing there when he was standing there. And he just spoke to me. You know, he just spoke up. And that's the way sometimes things go, it's right? The, the synchronicity of events. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love yeah. it. it. Makes me happy. Good for you for embracing it, first of all. I mean, I was always of the... If someone asked me if I practiced meditation, I would say I, I think about it way more than I actually do it. <laughs> yeah. And there was always still a piece of me that 
uh, on one hand, knew it was good and fantastic. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know a lot of the science behind it. Mm-hmm. But I knew there was something about it I liked. And then I also knew there was this other discourse inside of my brain that was just like, this is weird. Mm-hmm. What is mm-hmm. this? And uh, I got over that shit. But uh, <laughs> good for you for embracing that. <laughs> I think that's the thing with mindfulness, though. For one, it's a loaded term. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, for people who are very hung up on things being evidence-based, yeah. it still has a little bit of that, like, woo-woo connotation, even though it's so scientifically you know, informed, but the other problem slash um, beauty of it at the same time is that it's experiential, Mm -hmm. right? Like no amount of reading about it or explaining it will get you to the point of understanding the value of it unless you've experienced it. Mm-hmm. It's like going to the gym, you know? It's a pain at first. And you're like, I'm not getting anywhere. But then six months later, you're like, oh, this weight feels a little bit lighter than it was when yeah. I first started. Yeah. Or I'm not so grossly out of breath that I, you know? So it's like the changes creep up. So Jillian, going back to uh, around that time in your life that you got into, uh, you know, you connected with the chaplain. Mm-hmm. What, what was the crisis-y sort of culmination? What was happening at that time? Like before that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's funny that you asked that just because I Hilarious. feel... <laughs> yeah, I know. What was the crisis? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Um, no, you know what? I feel feel like since probably my teenage years mm-hmm. I just went from period of crisis to period of crisis okay. or or just maybe an overall feeling of maybe unhappiness or some or just not being in the place that I wanted to be mm-hmm. so yeah R- relative to what? what what was the idea that you had for yourself that you sort of, uh-huh. that you held up to whether you were in that place or not. <laughs> uh, you know what? It was just a feeling. Yeah. It's just a feeling. Um, like I don't belong here, wherever yeah, here is. Yeah. Just things felt uncomfortable and things didn't feel right. And I and I know now, you know, looking back, that it started with depression mm. as a teenager. Like in in high school. Yes. Or before. In high school, yeah. absolutely. And then, um, you know, hard things happened to me. Uh, my parents split up and my dog died, uh, like all in a short amount of time. And I was in high school and wasn't equipped. I didn't have coping skills, you know, and I didn't know that when you don't sort of address these things and you mm. just, you know, stuff them down, problems emerge. Was, was that the coping <laughs> skill, though, to stuff it down? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was keep going keep doing you know making keep achieving keep you know don't skip a beat so that sounds like a very athletic kind of competitive mindset yeah yeah was that your training though up at, uh, i think um you know going back to how i was raised it was very um i had a i had a nice childhood okay. um but I think there was like a lot of kids my age, an emphasis just on achievement okay. and that sort of being very important because if we didn't, then we wouldn't have a good job and we wouldn't have a, you know, a good life. 
Okay. And I think that comes from, you know, older mindsets of, you know, our parents or our grandparents even of having come from poverty and that sort of thing. Okay, so I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of, um, you know, my mom, I remember watching her just kill herself to try to make sure that I um, had everything I needed to get through school and, you know, be successful in it and driving me to piano lessons and driving me to baseball and driving me to this and that and everything. So for me, I never really learned, you know, that it was okay to not always be trying to pursue something. Okay. And then what happened was this stuff happened in high school and I just think I hit a wall. So I stuffed it down and kept going, kept going, kept going. And then university showed up. And as you know, university is quite a different pace. Mm -hmm. And I was also commuting. So I never felt really engaged with what was going on there. I always felt like a bit of an outsider. Same with me. Yeah. Yeah. And so at that point, I think everything just sort of then crashed. Mm. And I was like, I don't want to be a social worker. <laughs> that was the first time I had that thought. The You're first going through of many your own thoughts. existential crisis. Yeah, like, yeah. And what am I doing here? I was. I was exactly like, what am I doing here? I don't fit in. Yeah. Um, social work doesn't resonate with me. I don't have like, what am I doing here? And I also though felt. I felt physically bad. I wasn't at this point. I didn't know about taking care of my health. So, you know, I probably drank five cups of coffee a day and lived on donuts that, you know, I would pick up my coffee, my donut and the drive through on the way to school yeah. at 530 in the morning because class was at eight Jesus. and it was a long, right? I remember. Right. Yeah. And it, it was hard. And I think I had not sort of healed or from this stuff from before. And I just was like, I can't do this. And that was like okay, either I'm going to throw all throw, throw the last two years of work and suffering mm-hmm. away yeah. or I'm going to push through and finish this and then figure out whatever else. And I decided to push through. Okay, um, but, so there's yeah. coming that, that, that mentality again. Yes, more pushing through, push through, right? This. Yeah, more pushing through. And I think I was sort of absent mentally, probably and physically from the place <laughs> a yeah, lot. Yeah. I know I didn't have the full, ex- you know, great university experience that a lot of people could have had. Yeah. And um, I didn't achieve the grades that I normally would. Mm-hmm. So I finished, right? But with this story of I'm not a good social worker, my grades aren't good. Yeah. I don't fit in. This isn't right for me. And that's how I left social, left university, <laughs> right? With <laughs> like a shitstorm in your head. Yeah, eh? yeah. But, you know, and I realized looking back again that that was sort of depression again. And mm. this sort of like veil that sets over you where you start looking at things through this lens. Okay. And you just can't really see how they could be different when you're in it. And also, you know, just the physical ramifications. You're tired, right? And then you don't, when you're tired, you don't, it's such a straightforward thing, right? Where you just can't put energy into things Mm -hmm. because you just don't have it. Yeah. Um, Mental energy and physical energy. Mental energy, which is something even now that I, you know, have learned to bring into my therapy sessions is literally, how are you doing physically? 
Yeah, like, are yeah. you getting enough sleep? How's your diet? Like, you know, what do you need to be able to just feel like physically well enough to pay attention mentally? Because mm -hmm. that takes a lot of energy, right? Right. right. Anyway, I don't even remember what the question so was, but I, this I is the story yeah. about, you know, I think it was just the story of depression and how that sort of started to shape my trajectory. And, oh, I, it was something about the striving yeah. and the perfectionism. So, so I'm, I'm curious to, to, add, to go back even further. Like, oh, okay. w was your mom and dad like first generation here? Like, like where did that sort of, was that influenced by no. culture? Was that influenced by... They just, my mom watched like, her parents. Upbringing? Okay. Yeah, my mom just watched her parents. Um, my grandfather was a very, very hard worker. Okay. Where, where did he come from? Uh, all of my family actually just came over from somewhere in Britain. Okay. Um, so those two both, I think actually they were both born here in Canada. Okay. Um, so mine, mine too. Yeah. We've been here a long time. Yeah, we've been here a long <laughs> yeah. time. But, you know, my grandmother's family was had 10 children. Wow. And I think it was just the mindset of, you know, they knew poverty in a way that we fortunately don't here. Yeah. You know, I think that they grew up in different times, right, where there was cholera and there was you know, all of these mouths to feed and there was war and right. there was the depression and they didn't know necessarily if there would be enough food for all of the kids that were there. So, I mean, obviously I didn't live through that, but these are the stories that my mom told me of the way that she learned from her parents. Right. If you caught a cold, you might die. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And just, you know, always, you always have to do your best because you never know where, you know, where your next meal is coming from. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of, you know, I call it now like the scarcity mentality because now we're living in times where our, they're really the opposite of scarcity. We have way too much of everything. Yeah. And yeah. we're now like the consumer mentality. Yet at the same time, internally like our internal landscape it's such that we still feel like we don't have enough or that something is lacking yeah right so we're still oh, trying man. to what inner stress that would be right yeah so anyway like i said it's just funny how you sort of absorb i mean we know this as therapists right but you really absorb whatever your parents are emanating well these generational kind of attitudes yeah. and, and ways of being and, yeah know. yeah it's actually nice that you're saying that because i feel a little bit let off the hook like this isn't my fault that i felt this way <laughs> it came from generations before <laughs> me felt, felt which way specifically <laughs> just like that i always had to be you know, trying like so hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and that, you know, this fear of what would happen if I didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, just out of curiosity, what did, what did your parents do for a living? Uh, yeah, so my mom was a physiotherapist. Okay. Um, so I very much resonated with, with that sort of helping profession okay. from a very early age. Um, my dad was a real estate agent, and I don't know, I think I just had a very, I definitely was closer with my mom mm -hmm. and just, you know, wanted to be like her. And that's definitely what sort of made me interested in, in a helping profession. Okay. Okay. But now I'm like, thanks a lot, mom. 
for, for <laughs> Thanks what? a lot for making me choose a profession that's not always easy, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I'm also often reminded of the fact that with a master's degree, you know, sometimes um, financially, you know, we're not making the same as it's, somebody with an MBA, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm like, yet I feel like the education level is the same. There's people yeah. that have less education that are making way more. Yeah, yeah. And so obviously the two don't equate. Yet that's what I was brought up to believe, right? Mm. Is get a good education, get good grades, achieve this way, and right. you'll be secure and set and da da da. Now, now do you, you know? think do you think part of that in, in the profession of social work comes down to it? I don't know the 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 invisible discourse about it being that it's a female dominated profession and maybe there's some gender politics that play into that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's funny actually when I was at Ryerson I really rejected any of these notions of feminism or, you know, oppression. Okay. <laughs> well, they really they really beat it into they, you. <laughs> oh, they beat us down with that. I remember hearing saying to one person like if I hear the word empowerment or impression one more time, I'm out of here. Yeah. It, we, <laughs> we really were beat over the head with that. But I think as well, I was like, no, I don't have that. I am strong. Yeah. I'm not a victim here. And this doesn't apply to me. You know, I don't know. I just didn't want to associate myself with somebody who um, had barriers. Hmm. Because what would that mean to, to do that? Yeah, well, that's the good question is maybe then I was vulnerable, right? Or like maybe I wouldn't be able, maybe I had a ceiling in terms of what I could achieve. Well, I imagine it would also unravel a bit that, that generational mentality of like perseverance and push through. and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> it's funny now, though, actually, the, the biggest change in my viewpoint of this was becoming a mother. Yeah. Where I was like, you know what? This is bullshit. Okay. I'm like, this isn't equal at all. Uh -huh, uh -huh. You know, I'm in a very diplomatic, like, equal partnership with my husband. But there are just things here that he can't do. And that the burden of this, because of biology, is more on me. And that is just fact. Yeah. And when I started realizing that, all of the rest started really becoming more clear. Like, why is there so much postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, which they don't talk about as much? Mm -hmm. um, and would it be different if men were the ones having the babies? And I think that a lot would be different to be to be honest, I think. Tell me, tell me about it. <laughs> I'm not sure why that, why I think that, but some part of me thinks that if men were the ones, um, you know, there would be like club chairs and cigars. <laughs> no, not cigars, maybe, but um, well, I think even the care, for example, um, would be more thorough in terms of leading up to the pregnancy or leading up to the birth. In in what respect? Well, I think that um, a lot of things are missed by the medical community. Um, and I say this with the most respect for, for what we have here yeah, in, terms of yeah. our, in terms of our health care. 
but I, th- I hear stories now that I work with um, mothers more about, let's say, birth traumas that they've experienced and things that could have been avoided with um, a simple look back at what is natural. Like, what does nature provide for babies to be grown and to be birthed properly, right? It provides us with all of, obviously, the the genetics, like the body structure to do all of this, mm-hmm. all of the hormones for everything to, for the baby to grow, and then all of the hormones and all of everything that we need for this baby to come into the world, basically without any help. But we start to get involved by forcing, let's say, babies to come out earlier than when they actually should. Mm-hmm. And what happens with that when you start introducing an artificial and synthetic hormone um, into the labor process, for example, is that the contractions come on a lot more strong and a lot more quickly than they would naturally. And so now you all of a sudden have a woman who is naturally equipped to deal with that pain, not as equipped to deal with that pain because it's not the way that we were designed to have it. Yes, okay. And then what happens is they say, oh, well, you can't manage this pain, so here's some drugs. And then we have other problems where now, you know, half of our body is numb and we don't, we can't actually feel Mm -hmm. what we need to in order to bring the baby into the world. And then we have all these other problems, like the baby just isn't coming. And then we have to have a C-section. Yeah. Um, or we can't feel, and this might be a little bit detailed for you, but a lot of damage happens to the physical body sure. through that. Now it's like you've got this soup of hormones because you just birthed the baby and you also are having dealing with trauma. Or if it's not even as extreme as trauma, coming to terms with a birth that happened maybe not the way that you had hoped. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of realign your hopes and dreams and expectations. And women are, you know, dream of this day since we're young because right. that's what we're sort of, oh, well, when, when you grow up and you have babies and, you know, we're conditioned to think about this day mm-hmm. as well. And mm-hmm. we we sort of fantasize about how it's going to be. And when it doesn't turn out that way, when I say through basically no fault of our own, right. then we have to cope with the aftermath of oh, that. Geez, yeah. Right? And Never so, of that. yeah. And then I, then my question is, how does that coping then manifest in the way that we're able to mother? And what is the support that society has for that? Yeah. There you go. That was a very long story okay. long. I rant about this stuff. <laughs> this is important to you. Well, it just, you know, it just was like something that I never saw. And now I see it all the time. And I've started working more with mothers. Yeah. Um, You know, I felt really that calling as I started to see how unfair this really was. So, yeah. So so what has it meant for you as a mother? (laughs) Um, How how, how have you come head to head with some of these things? Yeah. Well, you know... I'm very fortunate in the sense that um, I knew, I read a lot and I I listened to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of books about what 
was happening with our bodies and being the determined achiever that I am, I was like, this isn't going to happen to me. I'm not going to be a victim of this process. And what was that more specifically? Sorry, what do you mean? Like, what was that that process? What wasn't going to happen? Like that I wasn't going to allow unnecessary interventions to change the course of what my I knew that my body was able to do and what um, the conditions that I required in order for it to do that. Okay. And also the conditions that I required in order to um, provide that time with my child after that my child needed with me to get that breast milk and to get our systems in sync and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was um, determined. Anyway, again, I forget what the original question was. (laughs) I'm a major tangent person. (laughs) That's okay. I I, want to hear more about your experience of motherhood and what that's meant to you because all of your professional presence on the web and stuff, it really highlights the significance of motherhood in mm. your life and, and, and that as being a, a primary focus to you. Well, it's funny because I felt a little bit cliche at first doing okay. that. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm a mother and now all I'm going to do is talk about mother stuff. <laughs> um, well, how did you come to that? <laughs> well, only it, I just came to that once mm-hmm. I had my baby and I realized that certain conditions needed to be there. Otherwise, this was really hard. And that people weren't talking about how hard it was or the reality of that. And yes, people definitely are more like, you know, people know about postpartum depression and that sort of thing. But we're not normalizing it in the sense of, well, yeah, you're going to have it because this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it's not cool. Yeah. Um, So how I came to that was really just this new glaring awareness. Right, okay. So I think that was another part of it where I was like, oh, you know, if only women knew that um, sometimes labor gets interrupted because they're stressed out. So what can we do to put in place so that they can feel less stressed during a very stressful process? Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. It's stressful and scary. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so how, do you, how did you come to balance being a mom and and taking care of yourself huh that's still a work in progress (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, you said your daughter's 11 months yeah yeah yeah. so I mean obviously I don't have loads of experience on this um and actually one of the things I learned this was an interesting thing was um so I've always sort of been big into exercise and I wanted to get back into exercise fairly quickly. So I waited the six weeks that they say and then I sort of got back into my um, exercise routine and I was gentle. I wasn't too hard on myself. But around the six month point, I was like, OK, we need to kick this up a notch. I'm feeling really weak. I'm not the way that I used to be. I don't like this. Yeah. And so I really you know, embarked on a challenging um, workout routine. And that was a bad decision because it actually just sort of increased my stress hormones. When I wasn't, it's not that I was particularly stressed, but when you're not sleeping, you're inherently stressed. You've got a lot of cortisol and stuff like that. And all of that is counteractive. It's not helpful for, um, you know, your mood, right? And it's also not helpful for things like your 
your biology, like breast milk supply and that sort of thing. So in my case, um, I went from being able to feed my baby like solely breast milk um, with no problems, like abundant supply to all of a sudden nothing. And that happened because I started working out too hard. Mm, um, okay. Yeah, and I think it, it spiked up my cortisol levels, um, kind of put my hormones in a in a off balance for what they needed to be in terms of, you know, for a six-month-old uh, baby's mother. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I regret doing that because that sort of changed. I felt really bad at that time. I felt extremely anxious. Um, I felt um, obviously sad and shameful that all of a sudden I wasn't able to feed my baby the way that I wanted. And also there's this comparison and this whole notion that we need to get back to our old selves. Like, I'm sorry, that's bullshit. You're not your old self. Mm -hmm. You never will be. You forever changed, probably for the better. You yeah. know, so why even strive to go back to that? I, I think in, in many contexts, and, and for me, I work with people who have been uh, injured. Mm-hmm. Right? And I've, I've come to realize, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're talking about it in this context too, because it's, it's one I don't often think about. But mm-hmm. to have the goal as being back to the way you were, mm-hmm. in, in any of these cases, it's yeah. always going to look different. It's unrealistic. And it's also... Um, Yeah, a lot of it is more about the change in identity, right? And sort of being able to adjust with this whole who am I notion, Mm -hmm. right? And it's interesting if you go back to our conversation before about mindfulness and Buddhist psychology, um, you know, one of the reasons we have so much suffering is because we're really hung up on this whole who am I question, you know? Who am I? Well, I'm a person who can lift this much weight or I'm a person who looks this certain way or has these certain abilities or whatever else. Mm -hmm. But all of those things are just words and who you are is different than who I am. And that that's just because of a different context, but really there's actually not any difference between who we are. These are just labels that we've put on ourselves based on experiences. Right. So I kind of finally came around to this point where I was like, why am I even trying to be who I was? Because I'm not, and I'm actually fine with who I am right now. And hmm, and I okay. don't really care that I don't look that way. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and it does, it's not always that way, right? I'm not always like, oh, you know, I feel great at this weight or, you know, this whatever. You know, sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, being a mother has extremely aged me (laughs) i look old and i feel old um sometimes but those are just you know it's not all the time and and that's exactly it it's it's trying to take a step back from this whole who am i question and not getting too sort of attached to what the answer to that is and rather instead just kind of being with whatever's going on today okay you know i'm having headspace flashbacks true Mm mm-hmm But that's, again, like meditation. It's just, it flows through so many aspects of our life. Like, I feel like this is something that everyone needs to know. When I was, you know, in my early postpartum days and I was just exhausted in this sort of raw shell of a human and, and you know, the baby was crying and 
it was just, you know, a scary, overwhelming, exhausting time. I would crawl into my bed and just pull the sheets over my head for one minute and lay there and just be there <laughs> in my bed under the sheets with nothing else but that spot right there. Yeah. And you know what? Like that helped. That brought my stress down. That brought me out of my worries for what was going on the next day. You know, it really is. They say that it's refuge, but it really can be. Even if it's hiding in your bed under your sheets for one minute. I, I love it, yeah. You get refuge. It's like, yeah. Yeah. You feeling good? Yeah, it's fun to chat. Yeah. It's fun to chat. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Jillian. Yeah. We made it. Made it to the end of another episode. Thank you guys for listening. I want to thank my guest again today, Jillian Reed. But I love these conversations so much. I would put one of these out every week if I could keep up with that pace. Again, Jillian's Mother Zen offers mothers a holistic way through anxiety and maternal mental health challenges. Jillian also runs an online group program for mothers who want to overcome anxiety called the Present Mom Project, which includes 10 weeks of group therapy with Jillian, mindfulness meditations, two full months of nutritious recipes, and one day-long retreat at the end. I want to sign up for this group. Jillian, please. No, I was going to say make an exception. Don't make an exception. I'll probably ruin the whole thing. Uh, but it sounds really good. And uh, to find out more information about the group or any of Jillian's other services, please visit her website at motherzen.ca or follow her on Instagram at zenjillian. I want to thank everybody who's taken the time to leave a review or to leave us a favorable rating. Again, that's, that's, really, that's really all we're sort of shooting for at this point. We're not making anything off of this show. Uh, this is something that uh, I just thought was a good idea to do. Uh, you can do that by visiting Apple Podcast and getting down to it. Uh, I'd love to hear in from any listeners that uh, caught this episode or any of the previous episodes. I'd love to hear what you think, or if you have any questions uh, for me or any of my guests, you can write into the show, and uh, maybe something that you write in will be featured on one of the episodes. Uh, also, for any therapists that might be listening to the show and curious about being a guest themselves, feel free to write in as well. Uh, the email address will be in the episode notes. As always, my practice is up and running in the Oakville and Milton area. So if you're in and around those areas and you have some concerns about yourself, your child or a loved one, feel free to uh, visit my website too at intunecounseling.com. So this is it for now. This is me signing off and uh, saying, please be good to one another out there and be good to yourself. And I look forward to seeing you guys again in a few weeks. Thank you.